This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with your host, Dr. Tony Huang. Today, I'm with Madhu Sudarkar. Madhu, can you give a quick background about yourself? First of all, Tony, thanks for having me on your podcast. Again, my name is Madhu Sudhakar. I'm the co-founder CEO of ISRA. Great. Can you tell us about your journey in the AI field? And more specifically, like how was the training with Judea Pearl and how did that influence your work? And for the audience, can you just give a, a brief background on who Judea Pearl is? Sure. First of all, thanks for uh, all those wonderful questions. So my background is I started, I went to school uh, in India. Uh, Indian Institute of Technology, Madras. And then I came to US in uh, early 90s. I went to school to Yale University. I did my um, uh, graduate school there. Then I went to UCLA. At UCLA, I got my PhD in computer science. Obviously, look, UCLA is great computer science school. Uh, you, I met people like Professor Lyne, Leonard Kleinrock, Udia Pearl. Obviously, Udia Pearl got the Turing Award. Through some of those professors, I actually met Professor David Patterson and John Hennessy. David was also got a Turing Award along with John Hennessy. I think David was at Berkeley back then, and Professor Hennessy was at Stanford. Growing up, look, in the 90s, as you told me, for a computer science, these are the well-known professors back there, and learning from them, it's like a dream come true. And Yudia Pearl is, wrote a book on causality, so his classes that we used to go to. I learned a lot on the whole neural networks and causality and causal theory, correlation, He's a great professor, and I learned a lot in that, in those in those years at UCLA. Gotcha. So you've mentioned that while tools like ChatGPT are beneficial for the public, the general public, enterprises and companies face challenges in extracting value from these chatbots. Can you expand on the challenges and the pain points, especially in terms of the accuracy and hallucinations that occur with them? Absolutely. Look, first of all, look, ChatGPT has done a great job, right? Look, for all the things, whatever we are doing it, I would give a lot of credit. And I consider that both Sam Altman and ChatGPT as my heroes, right? We, our company started before ChatGPT. St I started in uh, ISRA leaving ServiceNow in late 2017. So we've been on the journey of NLPs, NLU, language models, conversion AI. So now everybody's talking about all these GPTs and transformers and large language models, but it's a journey. We have been having working with Microsoft almost last four years. So we've been doing GPT-1, GPT-2.0, 3, 3.5. So it's not an overnight switch for people in the field. It's a natural evolution. But how ChatGPT came to market with and how they have revolutionized is definitely an inflection point, right? I definitely acknowledge that whatever. Now, given that, and if you step back and say, what does enterprise do? I'm not a consumer company. We go after large enterprises, mid-market, and anybody who's an organization who's trying to provide Gen AI solutions. For them, what happens is, Tony, if you are a customer, you have your own data set. Your data set could be belonging to you. I can't take your data set and give it to somebody else. So security, trust, responsible AI becomes the number one problem, right? How do I train my GPTs or your GPTs in your environment, but not share with others? 
And also the training has to be not just fine tuning and drag and prompt engineering. I have to, let's say if you are a pharma company, I really have to give you a language model that is in the pharma industry, right? Or if it's, let's say in the medical affairs, whether that is in patient healthcare. So understanding the vocabulary, terms, terminology, and the data could come from unstructured content that could be database content. Sometimes it could come from call logs. So taking the data from the vast corpus of data sets, where there's no, these are not written in HTML, these are not like in a web content in a consumer world. They could be behind a SharePoint, it could be an Oracle database, it could be behind Salesforce. So understanding those applications and deriving those data model and the schema, and then leveraging the context. That's where the, uh, what I call the enterprise grade class will become. So we call this one domain specific LLMs. So one thing we did early on is by industry to reduce the hallucination. The purpose of doing that is at the end, the benefit is, can I provide the AI to be more accurate, less hallucination, and I don't need to require 10 billion credits from Microsoft to train my models, right? Um, it's easy to do it if I'm going to do as a consumer and I can get $10 billion, right? But nobody's going to pay you $10 billion as a single thing. So how do I do it cost efficiently for your data set in your environment and at a cost of a billion less cost, right? So that's where we come in, is provide this uh, LLM. So we have out-of-the-box LLM by industry. For example, like IT LLM for us is a huge one. And the number of words is like close to like hundreds of billions of words. We have one for HR. We have one for customer service. We have one for finance, supply chain, procurement, legal. So we go to market with this domain-specific LLM that we build, we train. Now, then we bring it to you, Tony, and your data set. I do further fine-tuning, further grounding, further prompt engineering that have to do to customize to your environment, right? So we go through both. So that we call the general learning piece as well. That's pretty cool that you have a like an industry specific LMs. Are you guys using open source LMs? Like which what's your like favorite? Are you using like Mistro? Are you using like uh, Llama 2? What's the base? Yeah. So the foundation models, like we are the day one itself when we do it before AI, obviously we build everything without open source. So we do offer our LLMs now on top of open AI. On top of Azure, we talk, offer it as a part of Bedrock with AWS. We offer it with Google, right, on the in their Vertex. We have it on Llama 2, all the standard ones, right? So the goal is if you happen to have a foundation model substance, can I bring my domain-specific LLM? So in a way, what I'm doing is I'm separating the LLMs and foundation model and say LLMs, kind. they are all the same, but I'm trying to stack them as a stack diagram. So that you give me your foundation model if you want, or you can use my foundation model. We have an ISRA foundation model too, if you don't want to use any of those. And there's a reason why people may want to use Azure, mainly for indemnification. I go with Microsoft. Microsoft will give me all the legal guarantees to provide their foundation models. Then we put our LLM and entire AI stack on top. Gotcha. And then you've also highlighted the significance of micro LLMs. Can you explain what's the difference between traditional large language models and like their impact on the industry as well as what's the difference between a, a traditional LLM and then a micro LLM? Yeah, no, very good question. Take for example, like you have a general purpose LLM today, you have it from OpenAI. It will answer any questions across the board, but if you want to go deep and say, I, all I want is learn about IT. All I want to do is about medical affairs. I want to learn about something about HIV drugs. So in that topic, I want a micro LLM. So what industry is saying is, given my 
GPT, my transformer, or my virtual assistant. I want a solution that is focused on that micro topic. I would rather you go deep than broad. In that topic, I want you to know all the synonyms, all the intents, utterances, phrases, and multi-intents, the collision of intents. So we become really specialized in that industry. Now, to train and create that LLM, you need to have a, a what we call a LLM uh, ops. We have an LLM platform, uh, LLM gateway. So we do use a pipeline to train. It's not a humanly done. We have a whole pipeline where we have a LLM studio, LLM ops. We try to bring that to customers, take their data, whether that's sitting in their medical affairs database or it could be a healthcare database, train that content so that you get a micro LLM that can be maintainable. Because if I may have a large LLM, First of all, it's very hard to maintain. I can't even train that, right? The, the amount of computer resources required. So how do you make that thing small, efficient, that can be trained, it can go through fine tuning, et cetera, in a consistent manner as a new data comes in, right? That's where we come in. We have we provide a generic platform on which we run LLM operations so that in a way of creating a customized LLM for your needs that you can maintain in your data set, but I'm never taking the data to me. Again, your data belongs to you, you're an enterprise. So not only I take your data to benefit myself or my customers, I'm not doing that. I'm leaving everything to you. So for these like smaller micro LLMs, are you like quantitizing them where it can run on the CPU or are you still running it on like a GPU? I think look, when we fully, once we train it, we're running it only on CPUs. During the training, we use GPUs. The whole idea is to avoid as many GPUs, right? If I have to keep on renting GPUs, the cost won't be private. Like for us, for an enterprise to come and sell you, I can't come to you and say, Tony, pay me $10 million to maintain a run. It just, it's a non-starter. So for the cost reasons, we once we train it, we make it so focused and run it on a Kubernetes platform. Either we run it in a multi-cloud or if you want to run it in your VPC or your data center, we'll say, give us 10 crores, 10 CPUs, standard object um, storage, so that it become very efficient from a cloud infrastructure perspective. And now do I want expensive APUs and all of those? Yeah, I, I'd say that a lot of people right now, uh, a lot of companies, they're still in like the POC, minimum viable product stage, and they've never productionalized any of these models. And a lot of them don't realize that it's very expensive to productionalize it. So if you use like off the shelf, like world frontier models, OpenAI's GPT-4, that's very expensive. But if you're able to drop it down to smaller models like GPT, I'll give you an example, like GPT 3.5, that's one-tenth of the price. And then sure. furthermore, if you use like different models that have the same performance as like OpenAI's 3.5, you can drop that price down even more. And obviously, if you know how to prompt it and fine-tune it, you can drop that price even more. So it's there's like techniques to drop the price down. And a lot of people don't realize that when they when they deploy these POC models into production that they see these like large bills come, come out like the first month and then they go in the freak out mode. They're like, oh shoot, I got to go and redo, rebuild everything to productionalize it. So like, it's a good learning experience for anybody that's out there that's trying to productionalize models. Like it's very expensive to productionalize, productionalize these LM models. You can't use the same techniques as, as you did in the POC stage in production. It's a completely different beast. And I love the fact that you guys are like fine tuning these bots and, and allowing the users to keep all of the information. A lot of companies like manage services out there. They don't, they don't let you do that. For instance, like open AI, they don't right. like, <laughs> they want to keep all that information. So like, how do you, how do these like fine tune action bots specifically address 
like actually concerns or like the hallucination issues that like are in like enterprise chatbots. Can you provide some examples on sure. effectiveness? Yeah. So there are two parts. I want to cover one thing that you mentioned before we go into the action bot. So Tony, the thing that you mentioned that's very interesting is as we do this LLMs and the training, et cetera, it's very important that the data set is very important of the customer. So we are not taking the data set, right? That's a very important aspect to it. Second is when we train these LLMs to be make it cost efficient. That's why I tell people, everybody, like you don't wake up and say, I want to build a Tesla car and build an electric battery. You, you're not, you're at a point, first thing is to try some solution, get anything out of the box, do a, a buy solution. If you really want to build, make sure that you have enough data scientists. Like you need everybody, you need data scientists, you need AI people, you need ML engineers, you need software developers, you need DevOps. So a lot of companies, what the mistake they're doing is, it's because it's so interesting and exhilarating to try AI. Even the large companies are jumping into the bandwagon of building it without knowing the cost that you just highlighted. Once you go into beyond POC to production, just the cloud cost itself will be tens of millions of dollars if you're not careful. Instead, if you go into a, a buy model, just for one use case, it could be for, let's say, HR or for legal or customer service call center. Pick one use case, buy something, see your experience. It may not meet all the needs. Let's say it meets only 50%, but you get your hands wet, then decide what to build. That's why what ISRA we do is we do both buy and the build. I tell customers, first buy with us. I'll give you a platform to build like a co-processor. I'll give you all the APIs, all the SDKs, all the LLM, all the gateway to build if you want to do it. But don't start build on day one. On day one, you buy a car to see if you, how you drive it, then try to build a car later on. So that distinction, I think, Tony, you, we should get across to your users is, it's particularly if you're a C-level person, people come to you and say, it's easy to give people and say, okay, let's hire 100 people, 10 people. Those projects today is costing tens to hundreds of millions of dollars. And now that one year is over with ChatGPT, people are realizing that, wow, these generic projects are very expensive. So I think buy is a good one to start with before you build. Uh, to your point, the next one on the action bot, what I have done is two things. First is we have the LLMs to understand your like dialogue management, understanding the response. If the results are to a knowledge article, obviously we'll do it. But in the enterprise world, knowledge is not the only thing. I need to take action. Let's say you say your VPN is not working. Giving you a document on why your VPN doesn't work does not do a job for you. I need to go log into VPN and fix it for Tony. Because first of all, I understand who are Tony. Do you have access to do VPN? Are you allowed to even do VPN? Can I install VPN? So I need to go through all the troubleshooting to enable that. So what we have done is we have developed what we call a workflow engine in a studio. And we call it AI workflow engine. The workflow itself is auto-generated. How do you generate them? I can generate them from existing documents. I can generate it from existing APIs or other service catalog. So you have this whole actions. Action is not one step, right? It could be series of steps in a source code because I have to check your conditions, et cetera. So we can do complex actions too. So we have a full AI workflow where you can write Java code, Python code, JavaScript to execute the workflow engine, right? The workflows itself can be manually created automatically created or convert from existing workflows. Like you can take an existing RPA tools like UiPath, Automation Anywhere, take the process automation tools, convert them to AI workflows, make them conversation aware, like a virtual aware or GPT aware. That's what ISRA will do. And then trigger those intents in, uh, to these workflows. So the action bots, I call this one action bot. That's why we have a chat bots and action bot both. We license both of them. 
There are some customers still want to buy only chatbots from us. Some people buy action bot as well along with it. Cool. Yeah. I've, I've read that you've mentioned some impressive metrics, reducing operational expenses by like 80% and then like boosting revs significantly through the use of AI solutions. Can you share any publicly available like case yeah. studies you guys have done right. and like where, where like these results were achieved? Absolutely. Look, if you actually go to www.isra.com, we have so many customer case studies, like starting from even like companies like Zoom, Workday, Gap, right? We have companies like Gilead, Amgen, right? Living Spaces. We have both retail customers, non-retail customers, where what we have done is we have recently actually, we have a banking customer called Dave Banking, where we are doing 80% reduction on every banking transaction. Like people are coming and say, I want to transfer my money, checking account, savings account, international transfers, right? Uh, I got my account is frozen or um, I've been over uh, overdraft charges. I want to credit. So we take care of that on a mobile app, digital app, and users can come through any channel, right? Can we come through a, a web interface, phone call, text interface. So we support omni-channel. So we have a bunch of customers across the board. As a pharma, healthcare, we have customers like Snowflake in tech industry, VMware, right? And retail industry, banking industry, telcos. So there's no, we have like close to 150 plus customers now across the world. And they're all both large. The bigger you are, the bigger savings you get. Right. Uh, we are also doing for medical device companies like LifeScan, which is a Johnson company, where people will come in and say customer support use cases are. We have done it for Zoom. We have done it for McAfee, like across cybersecurity companies. Right. People will come and say, I bought this plan for my cybersecurity. I wanted my family plan or my virus antivirus doesn't work on my laptop or I got a phishing attack. Solve my problem. My account is frozen. So in those cases, I'm not just trying to provide you knowledge article that summarization or uh, provide you an answer. I got to figure out, I got to log in to Tony's account. Algorithms have to check what's wrong with the account, what you have, how to enable your daughter's account. Why is your daughter's account not working? Why are you overbilled? So we do order management, spend management. So depending on what domain you buy and what workplace you implement, it's actually end-to-end. -end. That's why the reason we get 80% is I'm not trying to solve a small thin slice. If we bite you as an organization, I want to do everything for you, all your users. And that's the reason why we have across our customers, we have over 100 million users today that access. We also have a company called Quizlet as our customer. If you have any kids taking any quiz exams, their moms, dads, kids who are in middle school, elementary, high school, they'll be asking questions, right? It's, there's hundreds of millions of users on a daily basis will come to us. Yeah. So where do you see like the future of AI and like business heading towards, especially in like regards to the integration of AI and everyday business processes and like the decision-making? Yeah. So I think there's a lot, right? We are, if you ask me, we are in the, not even the first inning, it's just one year. It's probably this whole trend will be like the cloud will take 20 years. Where I see even 2024 will be is in, in the beginning, people tried all this chat GPT and web. In the enterprise, people are going to do a lot more on the Teams channel. Like Microsoft has blanketed the entire enterprise. On Teams, people want GPT. I call them Maestra GPTs. That's going to, all enterprise will go like Maestra um, GPT, like a virtual. The second will be Copilot. Copilot is just getting started. So it's Copilot is the opposite of GPT, which is, you're not asking me, Tony, I'll be the um, uh, virtual assistant for you. I'll tell you, Tony, who should you get as a guest? Who is the popular guys? What does your audience like? What time do you need to have your podcast run, right? 
who else to expand. So it's almost like your avatar trying to help you what you need. Is it going to be perfect? It won't be. But the, you'll have a co-pilot doing your job that day, nighttime when you're sleep, sleeping, it's actually going to the joke for you. It's going to hunt for people to put you on the show, right? Depending on what you're looking for, right? So the ICF co-pilot is a, a journey that's going to happen for five to 10 years. Microsoft started the lead on that. So we work very closely with co-pilot. We are the enterprise co-pilot on top of Microsoft co-pilot. So we will, Microsoft may do it for Office and SharePoint. I do enterprise-wide co-pilot. Your content could be outside of Microsoft, inside Microsoft, but I'll provide a full co-pilot solution. Next is what we just talked about. Can I build a custom LLM? Because without a custom LLM, micro LLM, you'll have a lot of hallucination and in your business. So depending on the business that you are running in, if you are a large company, you'll have 20, 30 different LLMs you need. One for finance, one for HR. HR LLM is something we are seeing a lot of popularity. Particularly a lot of employees don't want to talk about their personal needs to some unknown person. Even a HR business, I'm more comfortable talking to my boss. That's the common one that I hear across all my HR customers. So the HR LLM is like extremely popular, finance LLM, HR LLM. So I think this year will be a, I would say coming out of party for Gen AI solutions. And I see a lot of these things will be continued to double down and it's going to be a journey for next five, 10 years. Yeah, I'd say the HR bot is, um really pop I'm, I'm also seeing it being very popular as well most people they have a hard time talking about pay raises or bonuses with a person when you could be like hey based on my like metrics that you that are online do you think what are my chances of getting like a bonus and that's able to calculate it without having like a an actual individual looking at everything and telling you through their eyes what they think is going to happen so i think hr a lot of the things that are mundane like tasks within an organization that you need to get information from is like key for like LMs to come in and like optimize, right? So you got your HRs, your, you got your marketing, you got operations, a lot of this, these internal things within companies. I see LMs really helping to alleviate the stress. And, and plus sometimes it, if I need to find out when the next PTO day is, I feel like I get, I'd rather just have a chat bot say it or tell me the answer rather than me, yeah, messaging a like an HR representative and asking is just faster, right? Absolutely. By the way, we absolutely hundred percent agree with you. The next thing will happen in HR will be the co-pilot, because if to your employees, when do you have to give them raises? When do you do the reviews? Right? You want a co-pilot to tell you so that you are a good manager, right? It's actually mundane. It's, it's may not be not everybody is a great manager in every people skill. So use co-pilot to make areas that are deficient for people. So that way, organizations will be running at a much higher, better efficiency, capacity, and productivity. Yeah, I'm actually really interested in Microsoft's Copilot button that they're going to release on all of their flagship Surface devices. Have you seen like the news articles about that, where like the, the kids are going to have a, a, like a dedicated chatbot uh, button called the Copilot, and it's supposed to be positioned near like the space bar, so it's very prominent. There, a lot of people are saying like this is a big breakthrough right now in terms of like the one of the biggest changes that's ever happened next to you know, Microsoft putting a Windows key next to the space bar back when it first launched. So this is a big step forward in terms of like how people are going to change how it's going to change people's way of interacting with software and hardware through this Copilot button. And so Microsoft right now is pushing it through all of their like. Surface devices, and then they push it through all the third parties that have licenses with with Windows. But I'm actually I'm also curious to see how Apple 
reacts to this because on the Apple keyboard, I'm assuming that they're going to respond with their own AI button soon, uh, as well as Chrome. I'm assuming like all three competitors are going to have some type of AI button with their own large language models running locally on on their laptops. And it's all to help increase efficiency, et cetera. So I'd say within the next 24 months, we're going to probably see all three big vendors push out something, some type of locally run LLM on their computers, Windows, Apple, Chrome. I think all three of them are going to, are going to execute something. I'm very excited to see that. I'm already using Copilot as it is, and I love Copilot. And man, this is a very exciting time to be alive. And it's also, there's also some, pro- there's a lot of big problems with, with Gen AI ethical considerations, right? You got job displacement, you got biases that are inherent with the data set. There's, gosh, what, what's another one that was big? Income inequalities that are happening because of it. What's your take on like the ethical considerations with the, this rapidly advancing AI tech that's being implemented into everything? I think you nailed it. So I'll tell you, when I started in 2018, so remember back then I used to go to, because I was from ServiceNow, I would go to call centers in India and all these places, right? Whether it's in Dallas or Utah and all this. So you have to understand when we first started and say apply IT or contact centers and call centers to automate, first people thought I'm actually uh, killing the jobs. But when you actually spend time on it, Tony, I would probably more than anybody else, I spent so much time on this. Those people don't want to get paid five to ten dollars an hour. Forget about the federal minimum wage. They don't even get one tenth of the federal minimum wage in those countries for those per hour basis. So they don't want to sit there and doing manual copilot, setting your password research, setting your Windows blue screen to death, right? So those people also want to move up in career, like as we mentioned, you and me talk whether it's in India, Vietnam, or any of this. These are the tech grounds for last 20, 30 years. And those people want to move up. They want to become product managers, salespeople, quality of life. So I think that mundane task of that area will be automated. Now, are they losing the jobs? No. AI will create net new. My positive is I'm, we have around 300 people. I'm just one company in Silicon Valley. I'm at the ground zero in Palo Alto. There are thousands of companies that are creating. Since ChatGPT came, there are more people came back to California than going to Texas, <laughs> right? So at least the way in which I see it, like all my neighbors, all my office, everything, there's so much new jobs created in the last one years. So I think you will see that AI in general will create worldwide, right? So many people have tried ChatGPT. It's like the developer ecosystem. Remember when Steve Ballmer and Bill Gates were developer in Microsoft and Amazon did developer for AWS ecosystem? I think this whole AI, Gen AI, there'll be so many people are building it on, that's why I said the build on ISRA or build another platform. People are going to build. It's going to attract more developers. People are coming from colleges. People are using chat GPTs. So I don't think the jobs, net new, there'll be more jobs. Are they going to lose certain functions? Absolutely. Like customer service, IT support, the level one jobs, HR business partners. As you just said, that you would want to check your salaries from directly then talk to HR. So those low level jobs, which are mundane, should go away anyway. And they'll move into higher level quality function. It's good for society across the world, right? Now, Separately, what you talked about, does AI going to create more disparity? I think AI is going to create more inequality. That's something is what we all should worry because we don't want to, we want to create more broader, inclusive society. But from a bias perspective, any bias, any equality will be in the data. It's up to us, all of us, to make sure the data does not have the bias, our equality, our gender bias, et cetera. Algorithms don't wake up and say, I want to be a racist. 
if something happened, the data is a problem, right? Because you and me probably, we have seen, I've seen in my lifetime, enough of those inequalities and racism over the last 35 years. So, but the problem is that's in the humans. It's in the data. If there's a problem, we are the problem, not the AI. It is the, and this is where I wish the, the federal government with under President Biden, when they passed it, that responsible AI framework did not take into bill of rights. What should be the bill of rights for AI? How do you protect the consumer? How do you protect the enterprise? How do you protect the user? It was much more designed towards for large companies, but not to create, as you said, this whole inequality, race, bias, et cetera, and also to demand from the big companies. So then what are they going to do to undo these things to the jobs, right? They should have put in the bill, a bill of rights saying that if you are going to sell AI, Mr. Google and Facebook, you shall put this much money to create jobs or investment for training. They didn't do that. So I would have done that because look at what happened with all the Facebook and Google, with YouTube, et cetera, with the social media last 10 years. We don't want to go to make the same mistake again. So my message to politicians is, guys, do something about it. It's your chance. You are in the moment. Don't leave it to other countries. In US, we, we have a chance to lead. Let's lead with the right example by making sure the large companies are benefiting with AI, including me. Make Ask me as a founder CEO of a company and say, what can I do? To, I'm actually investing it. So we actually offer free training on the action boards. We are offering free training and AI workflows. I want to train people to build free on ISRA so that if I train them, they get a better job. If I can do it, why are there other companies are not mandating? And that is, is what more interesting to me is if politicians can get their act together, they should ask private companies to train, retrain people so that the society is, gets better. Yeah. In the States, the federal government typically allows companies to dictate it first, and then the government follows second. In In Europe, there's the, the AI Act that they're pushing right now. And right. that is that is like the most stringent set of rules and regulations that are going to be released. So like everyone's watching the EU's AI Act right now. And I'm in, in terms of where the US is, we are trying to catch up with the EU. I, I think, I, in my opinion, I feel as if we're just lagging behind and we're only responding because of China, to be quite honest. China is our biggest political mm -hmm. geopolitical enemy within the AI space, and we're trying to compete against them. That's why there is the, the executive act that was signed by President um, Joe Biden. That's why there's a huge surge of hiring within the, the government space for AI experts. There's some companies that out there that are trying to lobby politicians to put more regulations within the AI sector. However, if you view it from like a 10,000 foot view, you're seeing that they're actually trying to prevent their competitions from entering into that space. So an example would be like, open AI, right? They were first to market with, with their GPT product and, and they've scraped like majority of the internet <laughs> to get the GPT models going. And so now that they've had that, that moat, they want to protect that moat by basically lobbying with politicians to get, um, to get more, uh, restrictions on their competitors. So you have to see it in terms of that type of light. So there's some good players, some bad players in, in that game. I'm, very interested in what's going to happen soon when when we turn to like things that gen ai can build that are more nefarious right you got like cyber attacks like automated gen ai cyber attacks you got deep fakes this year the deep fakes are going to be crazy for especially around november the upcoming presidential election 
there's already a lot of stuff happening in terms of generated voice recordings, generated AI avatars, news articles that are all fake news. There's like social media platforms like Facebook, there's Twitter. They're trying to push anti-gen AI generated content. So it's, I think it's coming soon, we're going to see like the, all of the negative stuff that's going to happen from Gen AI, the, the deep fakes, cyber attacks, I guess some like weaponizations of like stuff, like bioweapons. I think that's coming soon. Right now, everything is like early stage, like happy, but I think soon it like all of the bad stuff's going to happen. And there's, there should be frameworks that are in place to prevent it, especially with like new emerging texts, like AI. But do you agree with us or do you think that? Absolutely, man. I'm also terrified. Like, I, I hope this is where I think the government should take plan for it. There will be good and bad happens at this year, November elections. People use NA. So, yeah, we should anticipate. We have seen it enough. Uh, if you remember, even during uh, uh, the year Obama was elected, there was big data was used to help his elections, both in 2008, 2012. So I think, look, we have enough examples now. We should be better educated, plan. And knowing that the world will have both good and bad, and but you're absolutely right. I think uh, some people use it for good, some people use it for bad, but yeah, we should anticipate and take all kinds of precautions for sure. Yeah. So if I needed to get in touch with you, like how would I do that? Oh yeah, best. I'm on Twitter. You can follow me at smudu, LinkedIn, Madhu Sudhakar. My email is mudu, M-U-D-D-O, at isra.com. Go to www.isra.com. So reach out to guys. I'm, we are in the business. We, are, we only do enterprise. We've been doing it for the last six years and hope to do it for another 10 years or 100 years. Great. And then for the listeners who are aspiring to enter into the AI field because it's so hot right now, what advice would you give them based on your experience? Like, What would you do and what wouldn't you do based on what you've learned? A lot of advice I can you look. First of all, for organizations, get started. Don't wait on the sidelines. Particularly, you said, Tony, your show is well rewatched by the C-level people. Do something about it. Most C-level people, AI is here to stay. Take a bet. Don't need to put in hundreds of millions of dollars. Take a small bet. Create whatever budget that you have. Put a budget. Get a funding for the budget. Allocate it. Find the way the biggest use you need to do. Is it in IT? Is it in customer service? Is it legal? Whichever business you are in, right? It's in banking services. Is it investment banking? Pick one area, put uh, this thing, but don't do analysis paralysis. I see a lot of C-level people. They want to do POCs, prove me this. Like when you hire an employee, do you think you're hiring, I'm hiring you, Tony, asking to prove you? Like you give, I, if you're an investment manager, I'll give you my money to manage my money. I'm not asking you that many questions. So when it comes to AI, they put unfair success criteria just to kill the project. When you hire an employee, you don't even go through that much grilling interviews. So don't treat AI no more than what you treat a human being that you hire in your organization. Give, be fair, be methodical, be fair, choose the right vendor, maybe talk to four or five vendors, do a uh, uh, success criteria, RFPs, right? But select something and earlier as you talked in your show, buy something first, don't start always building. If you start building today, it'll take 20 years, you won't see any value. So buy something, implement it, see some, some criteria, see what is successful, what is the return on investment, and de design, is it for money savings? Is it for experience? Is it for productivity? Decide what is the driving factor it is. And once you get one project successful, then start second, third, fourth, right? Some people are like saying, I have so much money, I believe in AI, they're like writing $100 million to all these large companies. Then they're coming back to us and say, oh, I invested 100 million, I lost 100 million. First of all, why would you put 100 million dollars with these large companies not knowing? And now we are saying that I should come and say you 100 million dollars. 
you will never recover hundred million dollars. Really, I don't mean by seriously. There are some customers I've talked CIOs and C level people. They will invest at ten million, fifty million, hundred million with large companies on Gen AI and last one million. That to me is insanity, right? When it comes to that, they are not asking questions. But when they are asked to the small ones, somebody like us, they'll say, "Prove me thousand things before I select you. Give you a hundred thousand dollars." So I think it's just being many C level people are not being very prudent. They have to trust their own employees, get started in some project. But get going. Don't sit on the sidelines. Thanks so much for being on the show. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you, Tony. You've been awesome.